0: Welcome to 3, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. I'm Gil Gross, host of Monday Match Analysis with outstanding tennis journalists Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. This is episode four, and we start with the same topic we started the last two shows with because we have more news about Rafa Nadal, and this time it is definitive. He is not in the entry list for the U.S. Open. Um, It looks like, well, it doesn't look like, Nadal will not be uh, traveling to New York. So Amy... You said that it would kind of eat Nadal inside to make this decision. Now he's made the decision. Uh, what do you make of it?
1: He probably feels really good about it right now. He's thinking he made the safe decision, especially when, you know, you read the news every day and there's people calling for the U S open not to be held. And, you know, there's people dropping out every day. Kiki Bertens, it's just not safe. Um, So he probably feels pretty good right now when it's going to eat him alive is when they actually do hold the tournament and everything's going pretty smoothly, which I predict will happen. And uh, they are starting to compete on court and he's not out there.
0: Yeah. I would say though, nothing that he hasn't experienced before. And I I don't know if Nadal watches the tour when, when he is unable to play with injury, but It reminds me of uh, Andre Rublev. He told Noah Rubens behind the racket that when he had his terrible back injury, it made him terribly upset to watch professional tennis because he couldn't be out there. So, you know, I I don't disagree with you. I think it would be, it'll be hard for Nadal to watch the U.S. Open. But again, I, I look at this a lot like an injury for a lot of players.
1: Yeah, Enough and like that. you know, you could say that um, maybe he'll go fishing and he won't watch it all and he'll just work out on clay, but he's got to actually scout for the French Open because that's not going to be too far away and he's going to be needing to see his competitors and what kind of shape they're in and do they have any new tools in the toolbox. So he's going to have to watch it. He's going to be forced, really. Um, do you think he's going to have to
2: watch How much do you think he's going to be watching?
1: Uh, You know, probably not too much, but, you know, he'll probably take in the Djokovic matches. That's a Um, great point. But, you know, um, if I were him at this point, um, I would probably be – there would be a sliver of me that would be hoping that they actually call the tournament off. And I'm not saying that because – Nadal is vindictive at all. It's just human nature, you know. If it were me, if I'm not going to the party, I kind of hope that the party gets canceled.
2: Wow, <laughs> golly, I, I, think, <laughs> I think I think I don't think that sliver. I think what Nadal's going to be doing is practicing, relaxing, gathering his energy. I think Amy a great point about the wine to do some scouting just to kind of see the tennis. Even though it's funny, it's funny to think. Well, why does Rafael Nadal need to scout Novak Djokovic, who's played more than 50 times? And yet, that's your human nature. It's like, I just want to listen to that music once again. Uh, I, do, I don't think he's hoping that the tournament gets canceled. I think the pro players are funny. They don't often want to admit to watching tennis, but they sure know what happens in the tennis. So what do they get? Like some chip that comes into their mind that says,
1: oh yeah, these are the
2: results. It's like they, they kind of don't want to admit it. So he'll probably watch some... And watch a match here and there, and then get back to his practice. And now, of course, the little X factors that the Madrid event got canceled, which was going to happen right after the US Open, so so Rafa won't have as much training match play as he hopes. So I don't know. I think it's 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 really the sad thing is it's really fun to watch him play. I mean, look, he's he's one third of our show, and the chance to just see him compete, whether it's on clay or grass or hard courts or Crush glass or anything that we don't have. That is really that's really sad. He's the defending champ. I mean, I'm trying to think back. Uh, Sampras wins in '02 and he doesn't come back. Did I'm trying to remember? When Nadal played in 2014. Yeah, he, did he? Did he miss it that year because of injury? You know, it's funny we lose track of these injuries. What about
0: like 2009 Wimbledon? Nadal couldn't defend.
2: That's right. Yeah, I was at the press conference when he announced he couldn't play that year, and that was really sad. That was definitely sad. That was really upsetting to see and that was a hard year for him for Nadal 2009.
1: You know I've read in Nadal's book that there was some injury that he had early in his career and he sat in a chair and was having the ball fed to him as he sat in a chair because it was something his lower body was injured and um, people point to that like like young, young players coming up or whatever. And they think, gosh, if I'm injured, um it, Rafael Nadal sat in a chair and hit balls. Thomas so um, did that
2: one too to the knee. That's there's some famous B-roll of that, of Moose yeah, like I'm just, was he wailing forehands while he's sitting in a chair?
1: So we we tend to think of Rafa as like this warrior god that always does the right thing and he'll find a way to battle through missing the U.S. Open and not being able to defend his championship. I just, I see a human being and I think it's going to be hard for him.
2: Well, well that because- since you hinted you know, at that, I kind of see that. I kind of see that though he, he made his decision and it'll still kind of like, what, tweak at him a little bit while that's going on and, and certain results and certain players. And yet at the same time, he knows he's pointing towards that that French open towards Roland Garros
0: do you think it's yes. a competitive advantage do you think nadal not playing new york increases his chances in paris
2: all day that was the whole point from right. the jump when we started talking about this I about, would agree. Was, this was this was the this was the pragmatic choice you know it's like do i go to the do i go to the picnic or the party and i think he made a uh he that was exactly what it's about it's about physical preservation i mean he's He's one of the most unbelievable players ever, but he's 34, and pounding on hard courts, uh, flying, pandemic, quarantine, bubbles—all this kind of stuff—that makes it hard. It's like, you know what? Nope, I'm going to just focus on what I need to focus on. And and as we see, some other players are also making that choice too, like uh, Amy McKeeky, Burtons, and I think Svidilina, and some others are not are playing the Open either.
1: You know, it's all like perfectly laid out, and we think, oh, Rafa made the right decision for his body and for the pandemic, and he'll focus on clay, and he'll go into the French Open, full steam ahead, but I think he's set up a little bit of a pressure situation for himself, not that he can't handle it, but let's say that uh, Djokovic wins the U.S. Open and is looking primo and in great shape and goes in with lots of confidence and momentum into Roland Garros, and Rafa doesn't have much match uh, play in his, you know, up, and uh, goes in there, and he's kind of put the pressure on himself. Okay, I'm here, I skipped, I- I'm on clay now, you know, I gotta do it. Um, so it's fraught, I think. As they
2: say, as people say these days, 100%. I couldn't agree with you more, Amy. In a way, it is kind of interesting. It's a little bit like, it's a little bit like being on a, on a game show, and you decide which prize you're going to take. Like, uh, there's a show before you go, let's make a deal. And you, and you decide, I'm going to take the radar range of the refrigerator, I think. but I, And next thing you know, right, you kind of lose it. You, yeah, you may lose some of on the whole thing, but, you know, that's true.
0: That's yeah. absolutely true. Or you, you can pay- take
1: what's behind curtain number three. Yeah, right. you remember this, right? No. <laughs>
2: yeah, <that's good. laughs> Thank you, Amy. Thank you for the curtain number three.
0: <laughs> well, okay. So, right. so speaking of, kind of, of which, of you want to know what I also don't remember? What? A major in which neither Federer nor Nadal is in the draw because it hasn't happened since uh, 1999. But that's and you were born
2: in. You were born, Gil. When?
0: Yes, 99. When 99. When were you born?
2: 99. 99. Yes. That's right. Now, last time a major did not feature these two guys was the nineteen ninety nine U.S. Open. Wow. That's
0: right. Yep.
2: Wow. Well, there you have it.
0: So perhaps now, okay. Obviously, Novak Djokovic, at at face value, the the gut reaction is that he's the beneficiary of that. Although it's been a really long time since he's lost to Federer um, or Nadal on a hard court. Uh, Twenty fourteen for Federer. Twenty thirteen for Nadal, since Djokovic has lost um, on a hard court, respectively. But for sure, it it might be an opening for the other guys. So we thought today that we'd talk about some of the big three foils. And uh, let's go kind of through the generations and discuss these groups, the groups that some of them won slams, but they never really challenged the big three on a consistent basis um, in the biggest matches. We kind of start with this first crop. You got to start with with Federer's early rivals when Nadal and, and Djokovic um, weren't really at the top of their games yet. They were too young. You have kind of the Roddick, Safin, Hewitt. And a lot of the, those players are actually characterized as kind of just a, a weaker field. But I don't know if that's entirely fair because you can't blame Federer for dominating them.
2: Well, the strong, weak field thing is right. The strong, weak field thing you don't know if, I, if Yeah, you sort of seem weak if I'm beating you all the time. But are you right. strong if you're beating me? Am I weak then? So so that group, <laughs> yeah, those are what uh, Federer was born in 1981. So I guess we'd call all these guys the, the 80 through 82s, like Safin and Hewitt. Hewitt, who early on had a lot of wins over Federer because Federer was getting his pieces together. But those guys are all, those other guys uh, are all have their own limits they only went so far I mean Saff two slams and kind of mercurial and up and down um, Hewitt very solid but kind of I think of him like a one-term president you know like he had he had a go but he wasn't that sustainable Roddick kind of too so I don't know what do you of, of those three Amy which which player did you most enjoy watching play or even try to challenge better
1: I just sit here and as you said that so many good thoughts Joel but How crazy is this sport that you can go all the way to the top of the sport? You can win two grand slams and you're just, we're talking about you on this show that we call three. We're talking about you like you're just meh. Like, yeah, he only won two grand slams. (laughs) I mean, that just blows my mind. Anybody who's ever struck a tennis ball will be, Blown away by that. I mean, but to answer your question, Joel, in this country, so many people remember Roddick and the great player that he was, and the great human being, really, that he is. Um, and yet, uh, you know, Federer got the best of him. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of meh, unfortunately.
2: Well, it's just sports. I mean, actually, and it's it's kind of okay to say that in sports because it's sports because it's a game and people perform, and in baseball, there are guys, it's like you were talking last time, the guys who win multiple rings, and the guys who don't. It's like, it's like talking about um, Isaiah Thomas on, the, on that show compared to, let's say, Michael Jordan.
0: Well, well, hey, I mean, they have major titles. If you look at the next crop, they don't, and uh, of course, that, that has a lot to do with the, the rise of Djokovic and Nadal, and now, now you have three of these guys to deal with instead of just one of them. Um, you know, you have now Bandian, Burdich, uh, Sanga, um, and then you have Ferrer. I always found th- this common thread that was kind of interesting. With everyone but Ferrer, there were a lot of players at one point who I thought could hit the ball with the big three. Like if you, if you played baseline rallies down the middle and you watched Tomas Burdich, incredible ground strokes. I wouldn't know who's better. If he's hitting with Novak Djokovic, down the middle. But all these guys lacked mobility. And there was just this massive crop of players who just didn't have the mobility that they had. They hit the ball just as well. They had the offense, but the defense wasn't there.
2: And then you had Ferrer, who could move. Opposite. Yeah, good field, less hit. Yes. See,
1: that's, that's really interesting, Gil, and I do think that there's something to the adage in any sport that defense wins championships, but to me, what the big three had that all those foils did not have is presence of mind during the point. Like, if you watch Federer How does he know that the ball is going to be hit there and what to do with it next? He just has in the moment, he has that presence of mind that is just next level. And the other two have it as well.
2: Well, that's where the game, that's where I think it helps to see the game. You know, I get the offense defense thing and I use that language a lot too, but I think it's, it only takes us to a point and you kind of see the ways it's like, for example, of the three. Okay, you look at Novak, and it reminds me of what I think of Chris Everett. Novak, is that game offense or defense? Like Novak, oh, that first ball is an inch inside the baseline. Oh, well. Oh, the second ball is an inch inside the baseline. Hmm, third ball. By the time yeah. the guys had four balls inside <laughs> three inches of your baseline, yeah. you ask if you have the right to a lawyer. Who's, who's <laughs> offense and who's defense? And I think your point is great, Amy, in that you're getting to how, how the three kind of transcend both. You know, it's like Nadal, play quarter, stand, you know, like Nadal. Look at how he, he stands so far back to return, and which we think is defense, and then it's suddenly offense. it's offense. So it's like, what the heck? It, it's kind of like these guys have taken the game to a new dimension, whereas the offense shown by Burdich and Sanga, firepower for sure in a contemporary way, but not quite the, the grand synthesis that – these right. uh, Nor the Grand Sitsipis, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that these guys brought to us, this ability to kind of transcend offense and defense. Because I think, uh, yeah, like Burdick, I mean, Burdick is a great example. I mean, I watched him beat Federer at Wimbledon and the U.S. Open, but it's like, then the next, or, or, or Del Potro, who had his moments. I guess Del Potro a little later in the generation. But
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, it's, it's, it's really fascinating.
0: And, and some people, when we had our Andy Murray episode, it was our first one, were upset that it wasn't the Stan episode because they, you know, they said, what about Stanimal? Also, also with the three major titles, um, I, would, I would put Stan in, into that camp almost, right? Because he, he had all that firepower, but he doesn't flow between offense and defense or hybrid it, right? You can counterattack. You can create offense from a defensive position uh there's i think you you put it nicely though you added uh nuance to it joel but is another guy i think same same deal they didn't have that that,
2: by the way just to tell people look at it and and i think amy i think you'll back me up here the stan murray comparison three majors yes if you look at all the other data and each had davis cup all the other data murray 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 carries all the other states do you would you agree with that amy
1: Yes, but I did think that those people had a fair point. Yes. Um, Stan is always being overlooked, you know, maybe because he's a countryman, a Federer. But, um, and let's not talk about Stan in the past either. I mean, he's not That's done. Right. He's still playing. I saw his uh, workout on Instagram today. He's working on the backhand. I mean, um, I think... Obviously, he's older, but um, he stands a great foil for these guys. I mean, how many great matches have we seen in the closing arguments of these slams where Stan's involved?
2: Absolutely, yeah. And he, you know, he's going to – I think he carries – it's funny. I just wrote Murray on data, Stan on appeal because Stan Mm – the the Murray game, Murray is like – he becomes like a pale replicant of Djokovic stylistically, whereas Stan brings – the backhands and some of the shot making was like kind of sui generis, kind of his own deal of game, and that carried a lot of appeal. And also a late blooming surprise: Murray was a U.S. Open junior champ who eventually found his legacy and got his lendal and got his coaching, and, and he's great. I mean, Murray I think would call the fourth, but Stan is a as a fifth or a four or a, a right in their foil, and certainly certainly more so with three majors than the than a, a whole bunch of these other people.
0: And don't you think Stan plays the way people want to play or people enjoy playing? Hit every ball. I I don't know, Amy, you're,
2: you're, you got the, I mean, I got, I use my one hander. Well, Amy, you're working on your one hander. What do you think?
1: Oh, yeah. And I just got some great (laughs) advice. I sent um, the video of my one handed backhand to a tour level coach who I will remain nameless and uh, had him look at it and analyze it. Uh, So I just have new respect for these guys. But, uh, With Stan, the thing that I love about him is the this thing and the tattoo ever fail, you know, try again, whatever the tattoo says. I mean, that's all of us, right? He's everyman.
2: But also, he's everyman, though, with, you know, Murray plays a little bit more of the everyman game that's kind of lunch pail and problem-solving, but Stan, Stan can kind of light it up. I mean, that backhand is like the tennis version of a three-pointer, isn't it? And his forehand
0: is better. Uh, Forehand's better. Yes.
1: Yes, which people in fact, some people I don't did, recognize. I did a, a statistical analysis um, at the French Open a couple of years ago. And the thing that people are just go gaga over Stan's backhand, rightfully so, because it's it really is a work of art. But Stan statistically will run around that backhand. You I mean, have
2: to. You need yeah, to.
1: Yeah. And and hit forehand, which is just a monster. Just yeah. like
2: team, just like Dominic Team and you know, Justine Anna took her game to another level and she you gotta run around that back end, you gotta crack the forehand.
1: And, and Nadal does it too. He's one of the best in the business at running absolutely.
2: around. That's right. Well look, if you have a choice, if you have a choice between a big forehand and a big backhand, take the big forehand.
0: For sure. <laughs> otherwise you're otherwise you're Benoit pair. Um
1: <laughs> yeah, good point, Gil.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I wanna go back to to the mental. I think that's a big thing, uh in terms of Stan's development, he got a lot, he had a lot more belief when he, by the time he turned about 27, 28 years old, um, starting in like 2014, something changed with the way he played the big three. He played them with confidence. He didn't disengage when things didn't, you know, weren't going his way like he did when he was a younger player. A lot of people talk about kind of the mental factor, the intimidation factor. And oftentimes when when players like, Rounich or Dimitrov are brought up. Uh, Nishikori is kind of the third member of what are referred to as the lost gen. You do wonder if they really went for the jugular and had the mental game, the belief, the confidence, the bravado to step onto the court with a legend and to really believe that they were going to win.
2: Maybe Do you believe that, that they, they lack that? I think what it's about is you, you start to feel that you're playing the resume, you're playing the the marquee, you're playing the person who's generating all the revenue. And if you looked at, it'd be interesting to track how the popularity of these guys, you know, for example, the first generation, the Saffins and Hewitts, hey, I grew up with Roger. I grew up with you, I don't know who you are. I don't care who you are. You're not Roger Federer yet, you haven't IPO'd. Then comes the Sangha Burich, a little younger. So maybe by the time uh, Nishikori and Raonic and especially baby-fed Dimitrov surface they're already existing in grave reverence. You know, a a pro told me once, there used to be a magazine, World Tennis. And he told me when he turned pro, he'd been so used to reading World Tennis magazine and seeing these pictures. He'd get World Tennis by, you know, he'd play an older player who he'd seen on the cover of this magazine. So is that the the lost generation, is that their deal? It's like, I arrive on the circuit and these guys are in full bloody glory. I can't, oh my God. So it's, I can't even think of this, deposing them. And, 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 you know, Nishikori kind of plays like a, like a version of a Djokovic you know, Dimitrov is a baby fed. I'm just a mimic.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I don't think, I, I think uh, Dimitrov probably uh, grew up idolizing, maybe too strong of a word, but s- clearly grew up um, in the Federer generation and wanting to um, play like him, I think he's admitted that. Yes. And uh, you know, then to actually be on court with him, and then while you're you're kind of coming into your own on tour, these guys' legend is just growing, and they're becoming the big three that they are. Um, so it's like these guys never had a chance.
2: Well, they already were the big. See. For the earlier generations they were on the way to becoming the big three but then but then by the time the neg- the, the Dimitrov Nishikori they were they were there kind of thrown so away that was kind of hard for them and when also when you play someone who plays like you but does it a little bit better as as Ferrer would find out versus Nadal it's just like that's a you, it's tough to beat someone who's a little bit better than you who plays like you because you don't have any other what do I have that you don't have and you're running my offense better and it's, can be, it's very demoralizing. So that generation, it's funny, though, just how, how these generations fly by. You know, they make their go. They get a good, one of them gets a good win. You beat a Novak in Indian Wells or Acapulco or something. And then it's like, you know, like a Raunich beat Federer at Wimbledon. Remember in 16 in the semis then?
1: <laughs> or maybe you do beat them. Somebody does beat one of the guys at a slam but then there's one of the other three sitting
2: there waiting. That's right. That's right. I know. Yeah. It's just, so now you come, you come on to like, so now we move into the next generation <laughs> the next foils, which I guess become, we're looking at Kyrgios and Zverev and, um, uh, well, even Tsitsipas is a little younger, but uh, who else you got? Who else we got in there? Oh,
0: Med- Medvedev, Medvedev burst, you know, bursting onto the scene and then Dominic team just, a late bloomer. I mean, he's, he's older than them, but he's also almost lumped in with them as kind of the, who, who's going to win a slam under
2: 30 years old bloomer. as much as I think he's just been a a fine performer. So he's outstretched his year of birth. Do you know what I mean? He's, he's done better than some people, his age. So he's continued to excel. So he's, so it's like, yeah, he's right. He's older than them, but he's younger than Nishikori. And, and, we haven't, and we haven't mentioned, by the way, one slammer, um Mara Cilic, who had a little fling at the U.S. Open.
0: Who, to me, fits into Burdich's Sangha prototype. Great yes. ball striker. Wasn't the athlete, or isn't the athlete.
2: Wasn't the mover. Wasn't the mover the athlete. mover.
0: Yes, moving athlete.
2: Less of more of a shaker than a mover, yeah.
0: Right. So I guess the, the question we want to get out here with the next gen is – how are they different, perhaps better than the lost gen? I mean, they do have the advantage of the big three being older. But beyond that, I, I do think that in there you have some, some really special players. And particularly, I think uh, Tsitsipas and Dominic Team are really close to being slam ready.
2: Well, and also and, and Medvedev, who played the great final of the at the Open. I think maybe you're maybe, I think, Gil, you, know, you really hit on something. I think this whole movement – aspect you know because now we're seeing the, you can almost like see the videos coming to shape of kind of the the, the little robotic movements of a burdick the the little laziness on the of, of a sangha with some of the footwork and now we're getting guys like you know medvedev who's a wonderful mover He's a great mover and, and also a tactical nuisance in a way none of the others have been i don't know amy amy what do you think it sits
1: um I think Sitsipas is a great player, uh exciting, uh really cool personality. Um, none of these guys though are like Federer and Nadal are with their net skills. Um there it's funny how like a lot of this net next gen, this Medvedev. Team, um, they're really still aggressive baseliners, so they've kind of taken the Djokovic uh, school of thought uh, approach to their game.
2: I so think it's Tsitsipas, very much in the contemporary game. Yeah, okay.
0: I think Titi is above tour average pretty solidly, and I, but I, and I think he wants to be a good volleyer. I think he likes to come in, and he's performing at his best when he's not trying to do too much with the forehand and he's hitting it as more of an approach shot than an outright winner where, where the errors start to creep in. I'm actually really concerned, or not really concerned. That's a little bit uh, too extreme. But I have questions about Medvedev's forehand and his ability <laughs> to generate offense. And you got to remember with, with Daniil, as incredible as his run last summer was, and you know not only to the U.S. Open finals, but making six finals in a row – uh, when it comes to tournament that tournaments that he entered in, the sample size is still pretty tiny with him. He hasn't been a top ten level player for all that long.
2: So you're worried that he might be have a little had that little window. It's kind of like no one, the book wasn't on him. He kind of and now the scouting report is out, and now we're gonna really see what it goes from being like we said the familiar from being the hunter to being the hunted. And he and there's a little bit of the the well, I guess we'll see, and then we'll see how he. Coast, you know, And again, this pandemic has given such, a, such an odd pause to everything. So, it'll be interesting if he, so he'll be interested to see at the at the U.S. Open. We'll see at yeah. the U.S. Open. Next thing you know, he's, he's struggling in the third set with Tommy Paul, let's say, or Taylor Fritz. And what's going on with that match? And here's Medvedev, last year's it boy. Now he's struggling.
0: Well, I'll give you an example. And I still think he's exceptional. But when he played Stan at the Australian Open this year, Stan has his block returns, no pace. Right. right, middle of the court, deep, no pace. Medvedev doesn't have the racket speed to do anything with the ball. So it's a very physical style he has to play. There's no easy way to end the points with, Well, it's a little know.
2: bit like it's a little bit like I always thought about Rodwanska. You know, I always thought it'd be interesting if someone like Rodwanska had played Amanda Kutzer or Rancha Sanchez. So instead of Rodwanska playing these nice hitting people who she could absorb and redirect, which is kind of what Medvedev does, someone says, Here or or, or Jill Simone is like that. Like I always thought Jill Simone had the forehand was a bluff, a pro. We're talking pros, I get it. But mm-hmm. um, but if someone just gave him nothing to his forehand, but they wouldn't, they didn't. And so that allowed him to do it. So I, I don't know, that's fascinating.
1: Yeah, I like that Radwanska analogy. That's pretty spot on. Um, Federer did say once about Simone in a post-match press conference that he could never play like that. It was one of those rare moments where something kind of, snarky, came out of Roger's mouth. <laughs> the bas- Yeah, came. exactly, exactly. But um, yeah, you know, uh, Medvedev had that great run at last year's US Open. So Gil, you know, you're right. Like, let's see what he does now, a year from now after the pandemic.
0: And now the one guy we haven't mentioned is amazingly Zverev, who was really the first to break out onto the scene. And like his progress has just in a lot of ways kind of stalled and he has the second serve issues and the forehand can, can go awry. And he had the issue where he kept playing five setters early in slams. And just semis, semis of the
2: uh, semis of Australian open this year. Yep. Got that semi fun. That was a breakthrough, but yeah, he's had some, he was a real it boy a few years ago. It's like, he, he's like the guy who was the, the high school kid taking college classes. And he seemed like on the honors track. And then it's like, well, wait a second. Oh Oh, now I'm, now I'm in the dorms and I'm kind of on school, but I'm not, it's not quite happening. But the battle, again, it's a marathon. It's a long journey. But he has some of the arsenal that you spoke about. I mean, again, when you compare him to, let's say, Burdick, there's some more mobility, more of the contemporary game, the backhand, the serve, a little more. But, yeah, again, the forehand. He's Murray
0: without the movement, though. He's Murray without the movement.
2: Maybe he's Murray that's interesting, Murray without the movement as opposed to he's Burdick with a little more movement. Yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> and statistically, I know that Zverev doesn't do as well in five set matches, but does very well in best of three. So, you know, some of the people have talked about his uh, conditioning, um... I don't know, though. We'll see. Uh, Joel, you mentioned before that it's like the uh, high school kid who took college classes, and you probably did that, Gil. So we won't. <laughs> we won't. But, but, Joel, like, what happens to that kid? Because that kid missed out on high school. Some.
2: Well, that's a well, but, but, but he did it. But he deserved it. I mean, he was generating some good results. I mean, he he almost beats Nadal when he's a teenager at Indian Wells. He's starting to win some tournaments. He's starting to. He's getting into the top ten, but i think I think this stuff about five setters that even he's been befuddled at mental physical, and then speaking of it, do you see who is uh um Gil, isn't he working with david ferrer your guy
0: yeah it was a it was a trial basis and uh but already based on his play in in u t s it seems like Ferrer has him flattening out the forehand a little bit more and kind of exaggerating the take back a la del Potro so Already, it it looks like they've uh, made some changes.
2: Well, we'll see. You know, we'll see how those things uh, work with those guys. You know, sometimes get the coach to fill in the missing puzzle piece. So you get a guy who's a little languid and lacks the urgency. You know, I want the I want the small coach to make me play. I want the tall player wants the smaller coach to make me play smaller. I'm a smaller guy. I want the bigger coach. You know, uh, uh, Gil, I want you to be coached by Del Potro. That's yeah, that would be a
0: good idea. Yeah, I agree. Dynamic. Is, is there anyone, real quick, maybe not, is there anyone pre-next-gen that we have our eye on?
2: You mean, oh, wait, who's is the player from Spain? Alcaraz, the, the young player? Alcaraz.
0: From,
2: yeah, he's, he see, he's, kind of hit the, he's kind of hit the screen a little bit, and we're kind of seeing, mm-hmm. because again, when they're that young, they're still promising. It's like, to get back to the school analogy, every high schooler could be a Rhodes Scholar. You know, when you're in high school, you think you might have a, a perfect GPA.
1: I really like Sinner. Is he next-gen or is he pre-next-gen? You're right. Is I he think
0: former- I'll give him pre. I'll give okay. him pre. Yeah.
1: yeah um, I, the Italians are really excited about him. He's a great athlete. And I think there's going to be a lot of money. And, um, you know, the, the Italian National Federation, they're going to get behind him. So he's one to watch.
0: He's got the biggest two-hander I've seen in, uh, I mean – Based on the tape, I don't think anyone really hits it as big as him. Is it scary?
2: Is it scary? That's why you always, you know, it's funny. I swear, I I wish, I wish I had kept a database over the years. It's like a board game of the words you hear when a player is is at that stage. Yeah, scary money backhands money, and then and then they get those early wins, (laughs) and then and then they hit the yip. It's like I don't know, kind of nervous, dodgy forehand, dodgy. To dodgy, and then they kind of regain it and they put it, you know, like with Zverev. Now we're watching the guy who's kind of finally like, I think he might be ready to declare the major. You know, he's kind of okay, but we'll see. You know, it's, and they go through these phases. It doesn't, I'm not saying declare the major like he's going to be an honor student. I just sure. mean now he's at least maybe torn off all the cobwebs and he's going to have the legitimate career he's meant to have. It's like he's going to shear off all the expectation and all the early hype that we generate and get down to it.
0: As we covered at the top, it'll be a strange US Open without Federer and Nadal. That means extra chances for all of the foils we just discussed, although Djokovic uh, will still be the number one seed. Um, So this has been a lot of fun. Of course, we are now on Apple Podcasts, your favorite podcast platforms. Uh, this This was episode four very exciting. Rate and review. Subscribe to the channel. It is a huge help and we really appreciate it. We'll see you next time in the next episode of three.